Mark 10, 13-16, hear the word of the Lord. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I could summarize the instruction of last week's message very simply in this. Have children if you legitimately can. Now, those of us who have had the blessing of having children have also experienced the panic associated with the arrival, particularly of our first child. You know the experience, if you are parents, of right after the birth or right after the adoption is affected, all of a sudden you have a child in your arms and you panic because you realize that all of a sudden you are responsible for another human being who at that moment is completely helpless and completely dependent upon you. And you realize how little equipped you are for the task that you have just taken on. I had that experience with our firstborn, of course. We were told that with a real fuzzy, one real fuzzy sonogram, that probably going to be a boy. And then Whitney was born, and they said, it's a girl. Now, I was not at all disappointed at having a girl. I was just surprised, and I thought, oh no, girls grow up. And then boys see girls, and I just panic there, right there in the delivery room, and what am I going to do? I'm, a, I'm the father of a, a little girl now. What, what, what do I do now? Well, we're going to look at some nuts and bolts in another sermon But today we're going to look at the principal thing to do. And that is, take them to Jesus. Take them to Jesus. So, let's put these two messages together. Real simple. Have children, if you legitimately can, and take them to Jesus. That's how we find some in this uh, this familiar text. They were taking children to Jesus. Now, it's interesting that this text, we know it well, probably, if we've been at Sunday school or if we've read any Bible stories, we've probably read this one. But it's interesting that it doesn't even say who's doing the taking. There is very little emphasis on those who were taking. At least it doesn't identify them. It says, and they, and they were bringing children to him. Now, probably if you've seen Bible story books, you've probably seen Jesus out in the open and children coming to him uh, around, uh, encircling him and so on, and trying to get to him. Um, but it actually says that he was in the house. He was in the house. If you look at verse 10, and it says, And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. So he seems to be in the house. And that changes how we see this a little bit, because it looks like those who were bringing the children had to go through a door. They had to to get into the house somehow to get these children to Jesus. Now, Luke refers 
to infants. But here, Matthew and Mark, all three of them have this same story with a little bit different twist. Um, Mark and Luke, or Mark and Matthew, rather, use a broader term that refers to children in general. They could have been infants, or they could have been all the way up to, there's, an in, there's a, a person in the, in the New Testament described uh, by this word who's 13. So there, there could have been different ages of children. Some might have been walking, some might have been being carried, and we, we, I think, likely are correct in thinking that they were probably, principally at least, the parents that were doing this. And what did they want Jesus to do? It says, they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them. Now, in Mark and in the New Testament, we find Jesus touching people frequently. But oftentimes when he touches them, it's because there is something wrong. He often touches them, shockingly sometimes, in order to heal them. And he did that with a leper. He touched a leper and healed him. And we find Jesus touching people in order to heal them. But there is no problem here, apparently, with these children. It looks like these are healthy children. They're not being brought to him for the fixing of something that was wrong, but for the addition of something, for for some positive benefit. And they, they consider that by Jesus touching, that their children, these children, would receive something positive from Jesus. Now, apart from any magical, and in some cultures there are magical associations with touch, or apart from any miraculous, and certainly in the New Testament there is a miraculous association with Jesus' touch, but even apart from those, we understand the blessing of touch, don't we? Of loving human touch, and perhaps we appreciate it even more these days, when we're being told all around, don't touch each other and don't touch your own face and try to stay away from each other. But there is a, there is a blessing communicated and it's one that we are, that we're missing out on today by being restricted in, in our loving touch one to another. But they were, they were looking for something that Jesus would add through his touch, that he would add some sort of benefit to these children. But the disciples were having none of it. And it says the disciples rebuked them. Now I, I wondered in the former picture that I had, thinking of Jesus kind of in the open, how did the how did the disciples what did they do form a circle to try to keep people away? But it looks like it would have been easy to keep them away if he was in a house. All they had to do was block the door and say, "You may not come in here." They were rebuking them. This is a strong word. They were rebuking them. Now the question here is, whom? They were rebuking whom? It's not clear. They could have been rebuking the bringers, or they could have been rebuking the children themselves. They could have been saying to the bringers, don't bring your children here. Or they could have been saying to the children, children, you are not welcome here. Don't come in to this house. The master is busy doing something important here. But they obviously did not consider... um, the, the children to be important for Jesus at that moment. And that is remarkable. That is remarkable in a couple regards. If you go to chapter 9, right before what we're looking at, chapter 9, and you look at verses 35 to 37, he had just used one child as an object lesson. They were, they were talking about who was the greatest among them. 
They're having a competition about who was the greatest disciple. And Jesus put, set them straight. And He sat down and called the twelve. And He said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And He took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in His arms, He said to them, Whoever receives one such child in My name receives Me. And whoever receives Me receives not Me, but the one who sent Me. He had just told them this. That if they received a child in His name, they received Him. And if they received Him, they received the Father. And then this this host of children show up, and what do they do? They rebuke either the bringers or the children or both. They lost the opportunity to receive Jesus. And by receiving Jesus, receiving the Father. But it's also also remarkable in light of what we saw last week. Um, I appreciate that some people mentioned last week after the sermon that what I said was not completely accurate. I acted like and gave the impression that in all times and in every place people have appreciated children until the modern time in which we consider them to be disposable. But that's manifestly not true. If you read the Old Testament, you find that the pagan nations would do such thing as sacrifice their children to their gods. And so they consider them to be disposable. If you go back even to the time of the New Testament, the Romans would, would cast out their children, and then the, the Christians, there are accounts of the Christians then going to the, the, the dumpsters, as it were, and collecting these children for themselves. And so it, it's not accurate to say that all over the world, until modern times, people have appreciated children. But it is accurate to say, among pagan nations, there was, and there, there is to this day, there is a despising of children and a treating of them as disposable, not uniformly, but there are these shocking examples. But in contrast to that, we find the perspective we saw last week in the Old Testament, and we find this perspective in the New Testament. And so the tragedy is, when the people of the Old Testament sunk to the level of the people around them in their view of children, and the tragedy that I was trying to point out last week is that when we as Christians sink to the level of our culture around us, then we are having a sub-biblical, sub-Christian view of children. And we may see something of that here. They weren't treating them, of course, as disposable, but they were treating them as, as less important, unimportant. Jesus had important things to do, and it certainly didn't have to do with children. Now, Jesus, on the con- in contrast, said to them, well, by the way, it says that, that he was actually indignant. And Mark's the only one that, that records that Jesus was indignant. Jesus in verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant, indignant, and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them. So he was indignant, and then, with a positive command and a negative command, he welcomed the children to himself. What was the positive command? Let them Come, let them come. And the negative command was, do not hinder them. Actually, the way it's written here, it's more along the lines of, stop hindering them. Stop getting in their way. You are in their way. Stop being a hindrance to these children coming to me. So after overriding his disciples, it says, 
he hugged them, he took them into his arms in verse 16, and the only two times where it uses that uh, in Mark is the, are the two verses we just read, where he hugged the child and said that if you receive a child, you receive me, if you receive me, you receive my father. And this is the other instance of Jesus hugging, and it says that he took them into his arms, he hugged them, apparently one by one, and blessed them by laying his hands on them. And so, the bringers got what they looked for. What did they want? They wanted him to touch the children. And what did Jesus do? He, he touched them. It looks like perhaps twice. He hugged them, and then he blessed them, laying his hands on them. And it looks like he did this one by one, each one taking his time to, to spend with each one of them. Now, notice, notice in this text, it doesn't focus on the bringers. It doesn't focus on the bringers. He says, let them come. And the them here is the children. The bringers are never named. They're never identified. There's not a lot of focus on the bringers. But even so, we need to remember that these were children. And they would not have been there in the first place if it were not for the bringers. And so the focus is on the children, but the children did not get there by themselves. The children were brought there. And so, what is the message here? There's a twofold message. The first one is this. Children, children, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus, for He will welcome you. He will receive you. He will bless you. That's the message for children. And then, the message for those responsible for children is this. Very simple. Take them to Jesus. Lead them to Jesus so that He will receive them and welcome them and bless them. Now, in this regard, there are some common assumptions that parents often make. And I want to mention these common assumptions that we need to avoid. One of the common assumptions is this, that it's someone else's responsibility to take our children to Jesus. And sometimes you hear parents talk like this. Well, I send my children to a Christian school because I'm really hoping that at the Christian school that the teachers will talk to them about Jesus and will lead them to Jesus. Well, I'm hoping that the teachers will talk to them about Jesus as well, if it's a Christian school. But it's not the Christian school's responsibility. It's the parents' responsibility to lead them to Jesus. We had a Christian school in in uh, Mexico, and we would sell it this way. Maybe you'll think we should hire an ad agency after I tell you how we'd sell it. We would say, we will not educate anybody at our school. We will assist Christian parents in the education of their children. And we are a tool that you can use, if you so choose, to educate your children. But we will not educate anybody. We are a tool. And if your children end up educated in the Lord, congratulations, parents, you did a good job. If they end up not educated, then don't come to us. We already told you, we're not here to educate anyone. We're here to help you do your job. And if you think we can help you in that, we'll be happy to do it. What do you think? Do, I, do we need an ad agency? Well, we were trying to make a point, of course, <laughs> that we were not going to take over the responsibility of taking their kids to Jesus. We would point them to Jesus every day if we could, 
But that was, in the last, re, uh, last analysis, that's the parent's responsibility. So we should not assume that it's someone else's responsibility. Oh, I, I send my kids to Sunday school. In, in former generations, that was common. Parents would send their kids to Sunday school and not go themselves and not even go to church and then pick them up afterwards so that, so that their children would learn about Jesus there. Or, oh, you know, I'm sending my kid off to, to, to Christian camp this summer, and I'm really hoping that he has an encounter with Jesus. Well, well I am too. But, but don't count on only that. That's, that's not the Christian counselor's responsibility. It's the parents. That's the first thing. The second is this, and the second and third kind of go together as opposite, opposite extremes. And I, I've seen these in Christians and in Christian churches. And sometimes the theology of the church tends towards one or towards the other of these assumptions, these extremes. And the two are these. One assumption is that our children are automatically inside the kingdom because they are so young. And the other assumption is that they are automatically outside the kingdom because they are so young. And, and, and different churches, the way their theology and their cultures are, have that uh, one of those sort of uh, approaches. Now, let's look at these in turn. The assumption that, that our kids are automatically inside the kingdom. Jesus said, uh, the kingdom belongs to such as these. They're automatically inside. So we really don't have much work to do as parents. Because, hey, they're kids. Jesus said, the kingdom belongs to such as these. So automatically, so we don't have a lot of work to do. That's one assumption. And um, it's, it's, it's debunked by, by this very text, because the parents were actually doing something, if these were the parents, which I assume were doing something. They were, they were strenuously uh, making effort to get their children close to Jesus. And the other assumption is they're automatically outside the kingdom. They're just too young to understand these things. They're too young to have faith in Jesus. So we will put them off until later, and then they can come to Jesus. And um, this text doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't support any of those assumptions. On the contrary, it is against all of those assumptions. It says that it's on the, uh, it is the responsibility of the bringers to bring them. If you're responsibility for children, then, then it's your responsibility to bring them. And it doesn't just assume that they're inside. Rather, they need to be brought to Jesus. But it also doesn't assume that they're outside because Jesus welcomes them. So we need to keep all of these together in the way we, we bring our children to Jesus. Now, there's one verse, and I, I jumped over this verse, but this verse is actually some, some very important instruction in the middle of these verses. Uh, in verse 15, It says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So twice he uses a child as an object lesson, once about what it means to be great and how to receive him and receive his father. And now he uses the child, the children, as an object lesson about how to enter the kingdom of God. And it says the only way to enter the kingdom of God is to become like a child, to enter it like a child. Now, Jesus, um, those who assume, those who assume that children are too young to enter the kingdom, um, they are, they are missing this verse because it's saying, uh, not, it's, it's saying the opposite of what they're saying. Some are saying children need to become more like adults, then they can enter the kingdom. And what Jesus is saying is the opposite. No, adults need to become more like children to enter the kingdom. Now, the question is this. 
what makes children models? What makes them models for entering the kingdom of God, coming under the rule of God? When we, when we come to this, we oftentimes get sentimental, um, we get psychological, and we, uh, we tend to, to think in terms of um, idealistic ideas about children. And you'll hear people say like this, things like this. Well, children are, are models for entering the kingdom because they're so pure, or because they're so innocent, or because they are so tender, or because they are so sincere, or because they trust easily. And you hear explanations like this. Now, what's the problem with these explanations? Twofold. One is, they're not completely true. They're not completely true. If you, if you have had children or worked with children, you know that these are not completely true. And in addition to that, if, they were, if, this, if this was what this text means, then no one would be able to enter the kingdom. If the message is this, in order to enter the kingdom, you need to be pure, like a child is pure. Is that good news? In order to enter the kingdom, you need to be innocent. In order to enter the kingdom, you need to be sincere. In order to enter the kingdom, you need, you need to be easily trusting. Is that good news? On the contrary, that's terrible news. That's saying that no one can enter because no one can say that I am pure of heart. I am innocent. I am, I am easily trusting of others. I am sincere. Nobody can say that. And so if we go with this sort of psychologizing interpretation or this sentimental interpretation, we are not only excluding children, we're excluding everyone from the kingdom. So we shouldn't go in that direction. Rather, we should look for, instead of some subjective aspect of children, we should look at some, for some objective reason that Jesus talked about children as a model for entering the kingdom. And we find it very easily, very readily in this. What are children? They are small, they are weak, and they are dependent. They're small, weak, and dependent. And so... How do they enter the kingdom? Look what he says in verse 15. He says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. How do children enter the kingdom? They enter the kingdom by doing what? By receiving the kingdom. Why do they do that? Well, that's how they do everything. They receive everything. Why? Because they're small and they're weak and dependent. And so they receive everything that way. That's how they receive everything, because of their objective condition. And so that's why they're models for entering the kingdom, because they simply receive the kingdom. And how do they receive the kingdom? Not by being children, but by believing in Jesus. Look at chapter 9, verse 42. Jesus gave a stern warning here. And my focus is not on the warning, but how he describes the little ones here. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, and then he goes on and he gives a stern warning. But how does he describe these little ones? He describes them as believers. And so, how does a child enter the kingdom? A child enters the kingdom not by innocence or by purity, doesn't enter the kingdom simply by being a child, enters the kingdom by receiving the kingdom. 
By believing in Jesus. And that's the message for us. The only way to receive the kingdom is to believe in Jesus, whether you're a child or adult or whatever stage of life. You see, until we realize, until we realize that receiving the kingdom by believing in Jesus is the only way to enter it, we will not enter it at all. And that's what Jesus' warning was. I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. It's no accident that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, every time this story is told, the next story that is told is about a powerful and pious young man who comes to Jesus. And he wants to know about the kingdom as well. He wants to know about eternal life. And he has a question about it. And his question is this. What must I do? What must I do? And Jesus responded and said, Oh, you want to know what to do? Well, go to the commandments. If this is a question of doing, go to the commandments. And he says, Well, I've done that. What else? You see, this was a man who came thinking that he had a great deal to offer. A great deal to offer God, and a great deal that would be very impressive to Jesus. But he couldn't enter the kingdom, and he went away sad, even though the text tells us that Jesus loved him and had compassion on him. Why couldn't he enter the kingdom? He couldn't enter the kingdom because he had so much to offer. He couldn't enter the kingdom because because he thought that it was a, a a question of doing something, doing sufficient to enter the kingdom. You see, the contrast here is stark, isn't it? The only way to enter the kingdom is to receive it by believing in Jesus. And the way to stay out of the kingdom is try to achieve it by doing something for Jesus. If you, like this man, are looking for a list of things to do to enter the kingdom, you are still very far from it. But if, like these children, you believe that Jesus has already done everything necessary for them and for us to enter the kingdom by becoming one of us, by living in our place, by dying in our place, by rising from the dead, then you enter the kingdom by receiving it as a free gift. Free for us, paid for by Jesus. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for children. We saw last week what a great blessing they are. And we receive them as such from Your hand, and now we find out that they are our teachers as well. They show us what it's like to enter the kingdom, the only way to enter the kingdom. And we, we pray, O oh God, that You would make us like children. We pray that our children would enter the kingdom by belief in Jesus, and that we would become like children so that we too might enter the kingdom. Father, I pray for all of those responsible for children that we would take them to Jesus. And I pray for all of our children that they would go to Jesus and be welcomed by Him and enter the kingdom. And I pray for all of us, O God, that we too would enter the kingdom by believing in Jesus and receiving it as a gift bought and paid for by Him. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.